being here as we begin this new book, the book of Ruth. You're going to need a Bible, so hopefully you have one with you. And turn to Ruth chapter 1. Let me give you a little background. On the next four weeks, we're going to be going through this wonderful book. The series is titled Sorrow to Joy, and you're going to understand why the sorrow to joy as we move through it. But today there's going to be some sorrow stuff. It's going to be kind of a tough chapter to go through, and it'll get more full of the joy as we move through here. But today's title for this message is Choose Wisely, and you're going to see five different things in this chapter about the choices that we can make and making wise decisions with our lives, with the choices that we have. The book of Ruth, only one of two books named after a female, Esther being the other one. Um, this is a really important book because it's a really a beautiful love story. Two unlikely people come together in this book, but it's really a picture of the gospel and as we move through this book, you'll see the gospel unfold. In some ways, we're going to be like Ruth. We're a Gentile. You're going to see Naomi, a Jewish person. And t- next week when we get into it, you're going to see Boaz come in on the scene, a type of Christ. But this, is, this book was written in a time of spiritual darkness in Israel. It was a time of the judges. After the Israelites had gone into the promised land, Joshua took them in. When Joshua died, people started just kind of going to anarchy, started to live kind of whatever way they wanted to. There's two verses in the scripture, the exact same verse. I've got the one from Judges 17.6, describes what the climate was like when the book of Ruth was written. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Sounds a little bit like the United States, doesn't it? Everybody can kind of decide what they want to do. Situational ethics. You know, feels good, do it. You know, what's good for you might not be good for me. I'll do whatever I want. But I'm thankful that we have the plumb line of truth found in God's Word. That we need to stick to God's Word because this is not based on culture. It's not based on politics. It's based on God's Word. The God who created the universe spoke this to us on how to live our lives. This is how we get to know Him. And so when we teach God's Word, sometimes things are not going to be necessarily politically correct. Sometimes people don't like the things that are in there. Well, as a pastor, I'm only the mailman. I didn't write it, okay? So God's Word for us. But if we don't have a king, King Jesus, then what we do? Whatever we want. And that's all this way our world is running right now. So that was the climate in the time that Ruth was, and we know that from the very first word. So let's, you're in Ruth 1, let's start in verse 1. In the day when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And just remember that word famine, because we'll come back to that. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Not a good decision. We'll talk about that. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So let's talk a little bit about that. Why was Moab a bad place for them to go? First of all, Moab was a country that was at odds with Israel. 
They were enemies. The nation of Israel wanted to pass through their land when they were making their way from, remember, from Egypt, wandering in the wilderness into the promised land. They had to go through the land of Moab. And the Moabites hated the Israelites. In fact, the king of Moab tried to proclaim a curse. He wanted a curse on these people. And he couldn't do it. That was when Balaam and his donkey and that whole thing. But they were always attacking Israel. They were enemies. And what did Elimelech, whose name means God is king, doesn't appear like he was acting that way, a famine hit in Israel. So what did he do? I got to move my family. We're going to move. We're moving out of the promised land where God had taken his people to. We're moving to Moab, about 50 miles away. It would be like for us. Okay, we're going through a hard time. Things aren't going good here. Maybe the economy, your job, or whatever. So here's what we're going to do. Family, we're getting ready, and we're going to move to the country of Iran. Why did I pick Iran? It's just because... It's a dangerous country for Americans and especially a Christian. So they were moving to a place that God had was like, that's, that's not a wise decision, what they're doing. Now, why were they moving? It says there was a famine in the land. Famines were often ways that God was trying to get attention to his people. There was something going on probably in Israel. Remember, it was a time when everybody was doing what they saw fit. And he would use a famine to try to get their attention. We know that in several places in Scripture, but I've, I've picked one here out of Deuteronomy. Let's look at it. God's warning the people in advance. This was a message that Moses gave before they ever went into the promised land. He said this, Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will, will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. So today we're going to look at five choose wisely statements from this chapter, and here's the first one. Choose wisely. Don't seek worldly solutions for spiritual problems. Why is that so important? Oftentimes, we will go through something spiritual. And what do we try to do? We try to fix a spiritual problem with a worldly solution. That's what Elimelech did. Elimelech is moving his family away from where they were supposed to live in the promised land with the people of Israel, worshiping the one true God, and they're moving them to Moab. Moab have a different kind of God. Their God, their God was called Chemosh. Chemosh was a god we don't know a lot about, obviously a false god, but part of their worship to Chemosh was human sacrifices. So this was not a good situation. So he's taking his family, and he's trying to say, well, you know, there's a famine here. You know, God, God's probably not doing something here or whatever, and we're just going to move to maybe where we can. Not a good solution. But you know what? People do that all the time. I know people that they run into difficulty at their job. Maybe their boss is having a hard time with them, you know, or, or it's co-workers. Well, then the solution is, I just got to find a different job. Or I don't like my neighbor, so I got to find a different house. You know, it's like sometimes, 
And I, I don't miss saying so, sometimes God might be putting you, allowing you to be in a situation where it's uncomfortable, where there's a certain degree of suffering to try to either get your attention spiritually, maybe like a course correction, or maybe he wants you to press in and grow spiritually in that situation. You know, in life, we can have the mountaintop experiences where everything's going great. Don't we love that, right? Then we also have the valleys. Where do you grow? You grow in the valleys. And I think about my 40 years of walking with the Lord. For 40 years, I can see the growth that took place in me was in the difficult times of life. And if all we try to do is avoid the difficult things, we will not grow. We have to see that now, moving in itself is not a, a problem. I remember when I moved my family here from Iowa 21 years ago. But for two years, my wife and I prayed about that decision. We consulted people. We did our research. I remember involving my pastor up there because we were very involved in our church up there. Both of our families lived up in Iowa. So it was a hard thing for us to take the step to move to a state that we didn't know anybody. But we just kept it kept getting stronger and stronger that this is what we were supposed to do. So a move in and of itself is not a problem. Changing a job is not a problem. But what is the reason for it? Is it God leading you, or is it you trying to solve a spiritual problem, perhaps with a worldly solution? Here's other ways. People can have unforgiveness in their heart, or they can have some other thing where they're not walking with the Lord. Maybe there's an unrepented sin, and they're... They're like all tied up inside spiritually. They know they're in a dry place. They're not following Christ. But then how do they try to solve that problem? Maybe it's through booze. Maybe it's through drugs. Maybe it's through porn. Maybe it's through buying stuff, spending stuff. I mean, there's a lot of ways where people can try to use a worldly solution for a spiritual problem. In your own life right now, any of our campuses, think about where you're at are you going through a difficult time in your life right now? And is there something that the solution is really spiritual and not like, I just need to move. I just need to change this. I need to do this. In other words, you're taking matters into your own hands. Sometimes it might be that you have to do that, but many times it may be something you need to do spiritually, seeking God. Let's keep going on. Verse 3. Now, Elimelech... Naomi's husband died. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Naomi's, I told you Elimelech, his, his name meant uh, God is uh, my king, but Naomi meant pleasant or sweet. And you'll need to know that because as time goes, she's not going to feel that way about herself. But Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they lived there about 10 years, so we see this was not a temporary short little move. Both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So now we see the picture of the sorrow, don't we? Think about this lady whose name was pleasant or sweet, is now left without a husband, without her two sons. She has her two daughter-in-laws. But remember, they were in a place they should not have been. So here's the second choose wisely. We need to see the importance of connecting with other Christ followers. What Malon and Kilion did was did, did something that God did not approve of. 
They married pagan wives. They married women who they were not supposed to marry. Moabite women. Do you know these two guys, when they came to the age of marriage, they could have made that 50-mile journey back to Israel and, and married Jewish wives, but they didn't. See, for us in the New Testament, we have principles like this, and, and you'll see it up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be yoked together. And I believe that goes beyond just marriage. You could talk about like a close business relationship. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? See, without, throughout Scripture, we see that we are to marry, we are to align ourselves with people who are like-minded spiritually. Now, I know people will come together, and sometimes things will work out, you know, but oftentimes things don't work out. When we get in these relationships, for example, in marriage, the closest partnership you'll ever have, the most important thing is, who are you following? Are you following Christ or the ways of this world? Two different worldviews. And so it's important for husband and wife to walk together in unison, especially in the area of spiritual things. That's why it's so important that we, we are connected with other Christ followers. One of the mistakes that Elimelech did was he put his family in a place where there was not other people who followed Yahweh. You know, the God, that, the God, the one true God, Yahweh, he put him in a place where they were worshiping Chemosh, other gods. And so, the, now I want to say this, as parents, as grandparents, first of all, I'll just share this. When my wife and I became pregnant with our first child, our daughter Christy, when she was pregnant with Christy, we started praying for her future husband. Well, at that time, we didn't, we didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl until they were born. So you how old we are. But, it seems like everybody knows that now, right? But we were praying for their future spouse, and we did that all through their growing up and with every one of our kids. And we're th- thankful that our kids have married other Christ followers, others who they're walking and serving the Lord together. And as parents, as grandparents, pray for your children, their future spouse. But here's another thing that's really important. Put your kids in environments where they're also connecting with other Christ followers. If you put them in an environment where there's not many Christ followers, who are they going to get linked up with and build their friendships with and possible marriages with someday? It's so important to that they're in, in environments where there's other Christ followers and so I, I just wanted to share that because it's such an important thing. Now, one of the things I want to say this about Elimelech dying. Some, as I was researching, some people believe that, you know, that was the judgment of God because he took his family there to Moab. I wouldn't be so quick to rush to judgment on that. I really don't know. I mean, you know, people die for all kinds of reasons. I don't know why these two sons died. Here's what I do know is either way, they left thinking they were going to go for a better life. They didn't get a better life. And oftentimes we think, well, the change is going to fix everything. But you know what? We take our problems with us, don't we? Oftentimes we might be the problem that we're taking. But here, Malon and Kilion married these two women, Orpah and Ruth. And it's really a picture of God's grace. 
Because Ruth is going to be the star of this book. And this is from a relationship that probably should have never happened. With, with somebody who was an, a, a, an Israelite marrying a Moabite. But you know what I think about that? That's, that's our God. Do you ever make mistakes? Do you ever blow it completely? And you're like, oh man, there's no hope now. Throughout scriptures, you'll find people who made terrible mistakes and God redeemed it and brought forth good. That, that should give you some encouragement right there. Because oftentimes we think, well, there's no hope now. Nope, because you're going to see how God used Ruth. I don't want to get too much into the other chapters right now. But let me tell you, God is going to use her even though this is a relationship that should have never happened. You know, I think about this. Who was the wisest person in the Old Testament? Solomon. Who was his parents? David and Bathsheba. They should have never been together. That was from an adulterous relationship that ended in Bathsheba's husband being murdered. And God brought forth Solomon from that relationship. That just shows me the picture of, of God's grace for us. And so be encouraged. No matter what you're going through, God loves to bring forth a miracle from our mess. So let's go on. Verse 6. Oh, by the way, I want to talk a little bit about Ruth and, and Orpah. First of all, here's a little trivia for you. Orpah. Do you know that Oprah Winfrey was actually named after her? And on her birth certificate, it was Orpah. It was later changed to Oprah because people were having a hard time with the Orpah, like I'm about ready to. So a little. Now, in this story, she's not necessarily the best character. I'm just saying, you know, for whatever reason. But Ruth, in the Hebrew, do you know what she was called when she was a little child? She was called Baby Ruth. <laughs> Make sure you're still with me, okay? So, now we move on. Verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So what's happening in verse 6? They hear that God is doing good stuff in Israel again. It's probably raining, there's food now, there's blessing there. Probably the people had repented. They had fixed their spiritual problem with a spiritual solution. So Naomi hears about that, and so she's ready to go back, Okay, which is a good thing. With her two daughters, verse 7, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah, that roughly 50-mile journey. Well, here leads us to our, our third choose wisely, and that is our actions are always preaching something. Our actions are always preaching something. Now, what do I mean by that? That sounds a little weird. Here you had Naomi. She obviously had some type of relationship with the Lord, so much so that these two daughter-in-laws wanted to stay with her. They wanted to go back to Israel with her. She, she had something that was attractive in her life. Her relationship with God was attractive enough that they wanted to go with her. And Naomi could have just sat back and said, oh, man, I, I wish I was back in Israel. But no, she decided to do something about it. She decided to... 
I'm going to go and take that step. I'm going to move back. Your life, my life, people are watching us. They see you put the label Christianity on, you, you put that you're a Christ follower or whatever. It doesn't matter if it's a bumper sticker or a shirt or something. But if people know you're a Christ follower, you know what? They're watching your life. Are you the real thing or not? You know what people are looking for? They're looking for somebody whose words match how they live. They're looking for somebody who's walking the talk. They're looking for... They want to know because this world has been full of people who say one thing and do another. Our lives are preaching something. People are watching. As parents, do you not realize as parents there's a high likelihood that your kids are going to be somewhat similar to you when they grow up? You're providing the environment. You're providing the example. That's a heavy responsibility. It's, for me, it's a heavy responsibility to be, to be one of your pastors. I realize so many eyes are on me. I realize I'm only one mistake away from, from blowing it for a lot of people. It's a heavy responsibility. But I keep my eyes on Jesus. For all of us, we keep our eyes on Jesus. He is our one that we are trying to imitate. And, and the Apostle Paul said this. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. So that's what we're trying to do for all of us. Let's follow Christ. And he may use people in our lives to help us do that. These two daughter-in-laws wanted to go back with uh, Naomi, which is a great thing. Now let's go on, verse 8. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. So now she's trying to send them back. May the Lord show you kindness. And that word kindness in the original language is kahesed. Kahesed is more than just being kind to someone. It's like a loving kindness. It's like undeserved loving kindness. It's really like a picture of grace. So what she's saying is, you have been so loving and kind. May the Lord now show that to you, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. So we see this relationship that Naomi has with the Lord here. She's, she's talking about the Lord here. Then verse 9, she says, May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So she's trying to say, you know what? You're young enough. You can find another man. Stay with your own people. Stay here in Moab because you'll find another husband. You know, go back to your homes and so forth. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. And she said, uh, and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. So the two ladies said, no, there's something attractive about your life, Naomi. We see you have a relationship with a different kind of God. We want to be with you. Verse 11, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Now, let me just stop right here. This next part is going to get weird. Okay, I'm just going to forewarn you, and I'm going to explain why it's going to get weird. Part of the law that they had in those days from God was a law of how to take care of widows. You know, they didn't have Social Security and the different things that we have as social safety nets. They had something they called it the Leverite Law. Not to be confused with Levites. It had nothing to do with Levites. The Leverite Law was this. If you were a woman and your husband died, you now married your husband's brother. 
That way, you, you still had a husband in your life from the same family, and if that first child that would come would be credited to your deceased husband. So let me say it again. Sounds a little confusing, right? If your husband died, you married your brother-in-law. Now, you can imagine what this probably does in a family. The brothers are really looking to see who they're dating. Like, oh, boy, you better take good care of your health. I, I sure don't want anything to happen to you because I don't want to get stuck with her. But that was the Leverite law. But see, that couldn't apply in this situation because both brothers died. So you had these two ladies. So I explain that now because you're going to see what Naomi says to them, and it's going to make a little more sense to you, okay? I, I hope it does anyway. So verse 11, But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grow up? So you can see, now you understand why she's saying this. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. That last part there, the Lord's hand has turned against me, you're going to see four more times, a total of five times in this chapter, where Naomi is going to talk about how God has hurt her. She's, she's going to turn bitter against God because of what has happened, becoming a widow, losing her sons. She has the wrong image of God. And you're going to see this unfold in this story. She says, no, it's more bitter for me. You know, you can go on. You're younger. You can go get married to someone else. But now God has turned against me. So I'm, I, you know, it just kind of shows you where she's at in life, okay? Verse 14 at this, they wept aloud again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Let me just stop there. This is an example of reverse evangelism. Instead of inviting people to come follow God, you're saying, no, why don't you start... Why don't you go back to your gods? Why don't you go back to the world and follow, <laughs> you know, follow the kibosh, so to speak? That shows you the condition of Naomi. She was that bitter, like, go back to your gods. Reverse evangelism. But you're going to see that Ruth is not going to do that where Orpah did. Verse 16. Verse 16 and 17 is beautiful devotion, a confession of faith and love for the Lord. But Ruth replied, don't, argue, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separate you from me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Well, this brings us to the fourth choose wisely statement, and that is this. That for each of us, we need to passionately follow God and not the ways of this world. 
What you see here was a choice that was made. One chose one thing, one chose another. Orpah, what did she choose? She chose to go back to her old life, go back to her gods, her family. She chose what was logical, like, okay, logically it makes sense if I go back to my people, I'll probably find a husband there, somebody will take care of me. What did Ruth say? First of all, it's like, she, it's like a born-again statement. It's a confession of faith. Your God will be my God. She put her confession into God. And she was willing to follow God at great personal cost. What was that cost going to be? She was a Moabite. She was getting ready to move to Israel. Remember, they're arch enemies. She was going to be, and you'll see this throughout the book of Ruth. She's constantly called Ruth the Moabite. She couldn't even lose that label. There was, there was a lot of uh, prejudices and so forth and, and because of the, the way they were always attacking each other. So Ruth is willing to go to Israel because of a relationship with God and her mother-in-law. No mother-in-law joke here. She had a great relationship with her mother-in-law, even though this mother-in-law was, was pretty bitter. But Ruth is a picture of God's grace. It's a a picture of us. A a picture of us where we were not a part of the chosen people of God, the nation of Israel, but God allowed us to be grafted in as a church. That will unfold more as we go through this. And so in this little part here, you see three different choices that people had. Naomi. She chose to be bitter. Orpah, she chose to go back to her gods, her people. But Ruth, she chose to passionately follow God, and she's going to do this at great cost to her. Verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? You know, they didn't have Facebook profiles that they could see pictures of and so forth. For 10 years, they haven't seen each other. Is this Naomi? We haven't seen this lady. But look what she says in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. Remember, her name meant pleasant or sweet. Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter or sour. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. She went away full. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? I I think about, here she is saying that to the people. I've come back empty, even though she's got Ruth standing right there with her. How do you suppose that made Ruth feel like? I mean, mean, that's kind of a little, you know, not a good thing to, to be saying when this lady has been so loyal to you, serving you, being with you. Why? That's, but again, it shows you how bitter she'd become. And look at all these statements. The Almighty has made my life bitter. The Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Last verse. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. That last little statement there, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Next week, I'll get into chapter 2. And you'll see that this is a picture of a, a 
picture of grace coming at the very end of a very dark chapter, a chapter of sorrow, a bitterness, but coming at the beginning of a barley, barley harvest is going to be like, okay, at the right time, God is bringing these ladies back, and you're going to see more of that next week. Well, this, this brings us to our fifth and last choose wisely, and that is let God's word, not our circumstances, set our attitude. Let God's word, not our circumstances, set our attitude. What was happening with Naomi? She allowed her circumstances to set her attitude. And what, what was the attitude? Bitterness. She was holding it against God. You know, that's so often what we can do. When we go through tough times in life, I'm sure across Sebastian Vieira here online and, and in Melbourne here, we've got a lot of people who have gone through some very tough things. A lot of circumstances that you're dealing with right now. Broken relationships. You know, maybe a marriage is not going good. Maybe somebody who's died that you prayed that they wouldn't die and they've died and now you're left without this person, that void in your heart. Here's what I've learned, though, is every time something bad happens in our life, Satan is right there to whisper in our ear something to make God look bad. You know what? Why did God allow that to happen to you? He must not love you. He's got it in for you. You know all that Bible stuff? That's not really even true because, look, you prayed and it didn't even work out. He's right there to interpret it because what he wants us to do, he wants us to get bitter. He wants us to be angry at God or angry at other people. See, bitterness is a choice, but forgiveness is also a choice. What are we going to choose? Bitterness or forgiveness? When things happen that, that hurt us, that things that don't go our way, that's life. Naomi chose bitterness. What do we want to do? We want to choose what does God's word says, say about this situation. I hope you're still in the 30-day challenge I gave you a couple weeks ago. By now, you should be in the book of Mark. I hope and if, you, if you've fallen off, so to speak, get back at it. What we're trying to do is help you all to develop a spiritual discipline of being in the Word of God every day. And why is that so important? Because the Word of God transforms our thinking. We can reject Satan's lies so much easier if we're in the Word of God every day. We'll realize, no, that's not coming from God. I'm getting rid of that. That's contrary to what God says. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it's so important that we're in the Word of God. So you know, grace to you if you've, if you've stopped doing it or maybe you weren't here two weeks ago to get that challenge, but be in the Word of God every day. And really, it's not about 30 days. It's just about building a, a habit of doing it every day. So we see that in this story, she chose bitterness. And I'll just share just briefly a little bit in, in my life. I've had different things that have happened to me over the years that, well, they were bad circumstances. And one in particular was uh, when I was in Iowa, I, I did really well financially, and I was in, became an investor in all the extra funds that we had, and I became an investor in, in uh, small-town hotels, motels, with a, a group of some guys, and there was a guy that I knew who got me into these investments, and I, I probably looked too much at the profit-loss statements, the cash flow reports, more than I prayed about whether I should do it, but 
I was, my eyes got big with the type of returns. I thought, well, you know, the stock market's kind of risky, but this is brick and mortar. It's an actual business. And in the small town, there's not a whole lot of competition and so, for these. Uh, and so over a period of time, I became an uh, investor in about five properties and, you know, came down here to Florida, was in ministry, and checks were coming. I was like, oh, that's a great thing, you know. It's like supplement the difference between what I made in business and as a pastor. But from the year 2002 through 2007, the businesses all went down. And it was a very hardful thing because the guy that got me into it, he was mismanaging things, and there was actually some deception that was taking place. And over that period of time, not only did I lose what we invested into it, but some of the properties we had to sell at a loss, at such a loss that I had to take money out of our savings to pay for it. And then it came down to the last property. I didn't have enough money. The, the investor that got me into it didn't have the money to pay for the loss and got drawn into a big lawsuit that we lost, large amount of money. I had to guard my heart against this person that got me into all this stuff. Of course, I can't say that it was all his fault either. Maybe I should have prayed more. But we all are challenged at times. Do we get bitter? You know, I was like, I always had to fight it. When I think of that guy's name even today, I no, it's, he's forgiven. He's under the blood of Jesus. Somebody's hurt you right now. Somebody's caused you to either be bitter at God or at a person. Let it go. Forgive. And I'm going to share some things here in a moment that hopefully are going to be some tools that we can use to help us. See, God, sometimes He will allow suffering in our lives to reveal things to us. Maybe wrong priorities that we have in our life. Sometimes He will course correct us through suffering. That's what he was doing with the nation of Israel. When he'd allow these famines to come, he would course correct them, get them back to seeking God instead of all these false gods that they were worshiping. Problem is, they didn't stay that way for very long. Here's the next statement up on the screen. It says this, When we blame God for our situation, we don't seek his help. Why would you seek help from somebody you're blaming? You don't do it, do you? If you blame God, you're not going to seek his help. What we can't do is blame God for these situations. And I'm going to give you some things to think about, but one big thing is we live in a fallen world. There's just evil in this world. There's suffering. There's sickness. There's people are going to die early. There's people are going to hurt you, take advantage of you. There's abuse. This is the world that we live in. It's not the way God created it, but it's now where we live at. And I think these next steps that I'm going to give you, five things that can help us to make sure that there are solutions for bitterness in our own life, because I know it's a very prominent thing. We see it all the time here at the church when people come in for counseling. But I'm going to share with you things that helped me, has helped others, and I believe will help you if you're dealing with unforgiveness and bitterness in your life right now. Let's look at them. First of all, forgive and remember. You might be thinking, what? I thought we were supposed to forgive and forget. No, forgive and remember. Remember what Jesus did for you. Did you deserve forgiveness? But he chose to forgive you anyway, right? The Bible tells us that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. So remember what Jesus did and forgive, constantly forgive. Up to seven times? 
Nope. Over and over and over. Jesus taught this so much. Next, we need to rest. Just take a deep breath and just rest in the character of God. And what is his character? That he loves us and he's for us. See, that's what Satan always tries to go against. Now, he doesn't love you. He might love this other person more than you. He's not helping you. He's silent. Do you know that when God's silent, it doesn't mean he's not with you? Sometimes he's just silent for a reason. Maybe he wants us to press in a little bit more. But just remember, God is with us. He's for us. He loves us. So rest in his character. Next, understand this world that we live in. The world is cursed by sin and not the way God created it. Thank you, Adam and Eve, okay? But we all have a part in it, right? How many of you would love to have God just wipe away all evil? Anybody out there would love God to wipe away all evil right now? Well, all you guys that have your hands up, you'd be gone. Because we're all part of the problem. No one good, the Bible says, not one. We all have evil in our hearts. We have a sin nature, a flesh. I'm glad that God is patient with us. But we live in a world that's affected by sin. But this brings us to the next thing. Remember, our ultimate victory comes in heaven. If you're searching for the ultimate victory here on earth, you're going to be constantly disappointed. Think about the persecuted Christians around the world right now who are actually losing their loved ones or themselves. They're dying because of their Christian faith. They're not seeing the ultimate victory here, are they? It's going to be in heaven. And for you and I, yes, God wants us to have an abundant life. He wants us to have joy. I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom pastor here. But we have to remember our ultimate victory comes when we're in heaven. And this earth may not, may not always provide the victory that we're seeking. I think we should be praying for it. We should be praying for revival and change and all this kind of stuff. But the ultimate victory happens in heaven. Number five, trust that God can bring forth good from the worst situations. I've seen this time and time again. People who have gone through horrendous sufferings, horrendous things that have been done to them. And you know what they're doing now? They're helping other people who are going through that. They're truly bringing forth good from the bad that's happened to them. That should be our attitude. Look for ways. How can you bring forth good from this, God? I don't understand it. I don't want it. I don't know why I'm going through it. But God, how can you bring forth some good in this situation? If you can do those type of things, you'll remember that God is with you. He's for you. And he will use these things for his ultimate glory. Amen? Now, you know, Jesus is our example, right? He had choices in his life. Remember about the choice that he had, um, the temptations that he had in the wilderness? Satan tempted him those three times. He chose each time to follow after God through his word. But I love this passage that we're about to look at because in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the night in which he was betrayed, he had another choice, a choice whether to suffer for you and me or not. Let's look at it on the screen. Matthew 26, 39. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. The ultimate choice was when Jesus went to the cross for you and me. He knew what he was about to enter into, the suffering. Suffering in itself is not a big 
is, is not something that uh, we, is, is bad from a standpoint of like it's always connected to something wrong that we did. Sometimes we're just suffering. Even the Bible talks about that we will fellowship in his sufferings. This world will be troubled. There will be sufferings. But Jesus chose to suffer so you and I don't have to for eternity. And he's calling for all of us to follow him. I, the, I love what Joshua said at the very end of his life. This was just before the period of Judges that we're in right now. It says here in Judges, excuse me, Joshua 24, 15, when he knew that these people were constantly going off into getting into idolatry. And here's what he said to the people. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors you serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But I love this. But as for me and my household, parents, as for me and my children, grandparents, for me and my children and grandchildren, we will serve the Lord. The most important thing we can do is serve the Lord. But you know what? That's a choice. And what Joshua was telling these people is that if it seems undesirable to you, then you're going to serve the gods of this world. But I'm making the right choice. I'm going to serve the Lord. One of the things that Jesus constantly said to people, he said this, come what? Follow me. Do you know somebody he said that to that didn't take him up on that? Was the rich young ruler. Do you know that rich young ruler possibly could have been another one of the disciples? He could have maybe written a book of the Bible that we've been reading and so forth. But because of his money, because idolatry is in his heart, he chose to turn away and walk away from Jesus. Jesus put those words out there, come, follow me. And I like what it says here in Luke. It's the ultimate choice for every one of us. Then he said to them all, and I believe that applies for all of us, whoever wants to be my disciple. Do you want to be his disciple today? A disciple means you're following Jesus. doesn't mean you go to a church. doesn't mean you attend a service. It doesn't mean you pray a little prayer, then go on and live your life any way you want. A disciple is somebody who's following Jesus. If you want to be my disciple, talking about Jesus, we must deny ourselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. What did we see in Ruth? She had to deny herself. She had to take up her cross, and she was following the Lord. And for you and me, that's what it's all about. God has given every one of us a choice. He doesn't force us into this choice, but he's just saying, come, follow me. But it's going to come at a cost. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross. In other words, you're going to have to die to your own will, just like Jesus did in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. We said, not my will, but yours be done. That's what we have to do. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truths that are presented here in Ruth chapter 1. And Lord, I just pray for this group of people, Lord. I, I pray that you would help all of us, whether we're at one of the campuses in Sebastian, Vieira, online here in Melbourne. I pray that you would help us all to make sure that we're passionately following you. And that if we have any bitterness at all in our heart, help us to choose today to uproot that bitterness by forgiving the person that's hurt us or by even forgiving you. 
if we're holding bitterness against you, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that we would, we would examine our hearts to make sure that we're not trying to solve our spiritual problem with worldly solutions. I pray, Father God, that we're connecting with other believers, that we're building alliances with friendships and maybe in dating relationships or whatever it might be with other believers, like-minded people. And I pray, Father God, that if we need to adjust our attitude right now, we're doing it based on your word and not by our circumstance. And I also pray for any person now listening to this message who's not in a right relationship with you, but you want to be a disciple, you want to follow Jesus from this day forward, I would love to lead you in a prayer. So pray this prayer. It's not, it's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart. You're speaking to God, but just pray this under your breath. Father in heaven, I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. He paid the ultimate penalty. So please forgive me of all my sin. I know that Jesus rose from the dead and is now in heaven. Please send your Holy Spirit to live in my heart and help me to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. 